my pleasure to welcome you this morning as we gather together to uh, to worship. And as you can tell, the, the highlight climax of our worship service for today will be our observance of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the ordinance that the Lord Jesus gave us on uh, uh, the last night of his earthly life in order to proclaim his death until he comes and also to uh, um, strengthen and nourish our faith as we commune with the Lord Jesus and we commune with one another at the Lord's table. So uh, um, I look forward to uh, to that in our service today. And uh, as, as it's Christmas time, we are continuing to receive the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. And we have been focusing our prayers specifically on the Pacific Rim this year, as we have uh, been thinking about. And I've handed out cards for Malaysia. And Malaysia... It has a population of 34 million people, and Malaysia has an official religion. The official state religion is Islam, and about 60% of the nation is Muslim. There are also a significant number of Buddhists, about 20%, and, and actually 10% Christian, and then 10% of uh, other uh, indigenous religions. Uh, but significant to our missionaries, about a few years ago, a law was passed in Malaysia that required missionaries to register and be licensed by the state. And so they are regulated about, uh, uh, they have to be very careful in choosing their words as they, as they minister. So as you think about international missions and our missionaries there in Malaysia, we pray that they would uh, be effective in spreading the gospel uh, and not, uh, not heavily restricted or, or impeded by, by that new law. And so, uh, so as you pray this week, remember, our international missionaries in, in Malaysia. And uh, as before we pray, are there other prayer needs, prayer concerns, anything uh, anybody like to share today? All right, our call to worship this morning is going to come from Luke's Gospel, Luke, the second chapter. Luke chapter 2, as we read about the proclamation, uh, well, the birth of the Lord Jesus and the proclamation of his arrival. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord showed round about them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today to worship the risen Savior. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we thank you for the incarnation. 
that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Lord, we thank you that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin, and now able to help us when we are tempted. We thank you that he is our faithful and sympathetic high priest. Lord, we also thank you that he is our once-for-all sacrifice, that he died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve, making peace, uh, bringing us to you, reconciling us to yourself through the blood of his cross. We thank you for his uh, atoning sacrificial death. And Lord, we thank you for his glorious resurrection, uh, that you raised him from the dead to show his sacrifice was accepted. And Lord, we thank you now for his present ministry of intercession for us at your right hand and his presence with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we pray that you would grant us the grace to sing with the angels glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Lord, help us as we seek to worship you in spirit and truth this day. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 100. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me now to Acts, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, uh, we uh, know that Acts is written by Luke, the good doctor and companion of Paul on many of his missionary journeys, and uh, uh, he is writing now that Paul has set his face to Jerusalem. Well, back in Luke's gospel, the book that he wrote about the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus, he speaks of Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 52, Luke writes, Now as it come to pass, when the time had come for him, for Jesus to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. And actually, that's what we see has happened in uh, Acts chapter 19 and 20. We see Paul has set his face toward Jerusalem. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He has purposed to go to Jerusalem to deliver the gift that he has gathered from the exiles. And, uh, and so this last part of Luke, we, or Acts, we see Paul steadfastly going toward Jerusalem and then uh, ultimately being arrested there and taken as a captive to Rome. And so uh, uh, the tone of Acts has changed a little bit, where before Luke would uh, talk about Paul's ministry in a city and record some of his sermons and some of the things that happened and the people, but now uh, we see it moving pretty fast, and he's, he tells us where he goes, but he doesn't give us many details. Uh, but he, uh, Paul has set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem. And as he goes, we're going to see uh, uh, him minister a little bit in a place called Proaz, and we're going to see the ordinary worship service briefly interrupted by a miracle. And so let's look at this passage in uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, the, the riot in, Ephesian, in Ephesus that we talked about last week, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go into Macedonia. Now when he had gone over the region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And so Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians 
and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he'd gotten up, and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for he himself, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and saved at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to see this ordinary worship service interrupted by a miracle in, in Troas. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful that you have spoken to us perfectly and clearly through uh, your word, through the pen of Luke, as you inspired him to write your very words, words that you claim as your own, words that are breathed out by you, Lord. And we pray that you grant us trust and confidence in your word and help us as we seek to study. We know your word is perfect. Our understanding of it is not. We are, determined, we are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to lead us in the truth and help us understand and apply the truth, and then your Spirit to help us walk in truth. And so, Lord, help us to trust in your providence and trust in your ordinary means of grace to strengthen our faith, to grow us, to mature us, and to conform us to your image, uh, the image of your Son, Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And so we see this passage, and as we read this passage, the thing that immediately jumps out at us is the resurrection of Eutychus from the dead. Uh, that's an unusual event. It's an extraordinary event. It's an amazing event. It is, in fact, a miracle. A miracle is when God overrules, overrides the natural and normal course of events to bring about an action. And we see miracles in the scripture. We see them during the, the time of Moses, during the time of Elijah and Elisha, certainly when Jesus was on the earth, and now in the age of the apostles. And so often we see these miracles and we are, are captivated by them, and we long to see miracles in our day. We long to see miracles uh, happen. And we think that if there was just a miracle, you know, our faith might be strengthened. We might grow in our confidence of God, and we would love to see a miracle. And, uh, uh, and, and we would say, yeah, we want to see miracles because we want to see unbelievers converted. We want to see our faith strengthened, our confidence in God 
uh, increased. But when we look at the scripture, we see that uh, miracles do not usually uh, do that. Uh, Jesus, as he was walking on the earth, filled the land with miracles. He did miracles. He cast out demons. He uh, turned water into wine. He fed 5,000. And even after he fed those 5,000, they saw that miracle. They saw that sign. But the next day, we're told that many of the disciples stopped following after him. That miracle did not produce faith. It did not strengthen faith. Instead, people wanted a bigger miracle, a better miracle. And when Jesus did not give it to them, instead spoke hard words to them about faith and eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they went away and didn't follow him anymore. And so from the scripture, we see that miracles generally don't produce faith, doesn't produce converts, doesn't strengthen our faith, and yet the ordinary means of grace do. And that's kind of what, what we see in this passage. You know, we, we long for miracles, and, uh, you know, I, I put it in pretty spiritual ways that we want to see sinners converted. We want to see our strength increased, our confidence in God improved. But if we're really honest about ourselves, most of the times when we act for a miracle, we're asking because the ordinary, normal course of events, a miracle is overriding the ordinary, normal course of events. But we ask for a miracle because the ordinary, normal course of events is not necessarily to our liking. We're not comfortable. We don't like how things are going in this fallen world. And we want God to intervene and invade and overrule the normal operating course of events in the world in order to make us more comfortable, more healthy, more prosperous, uh, more happy in this fallen world. And we long for miracles. But miracles generally do not produce faith. And actually, we, I, I, I've, I've, I've named this sermon, you know, an ordinary worship service interrupted by a miracle. <laughs> and it seems, you know, we, that jumps out at us because Paul raises somebody from the dead. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty extraordinary. But the way Paul approaches it, it's almost like an interruption to the worship service. He's sitting there preaching. This man falls asleep, falls out the third story window and dies. And Paul gets up and goes downstairs and lays on top of him, embraces him and brings him to them alive. And then what does he do? He goes right back to preaching, right back to the worship service. It's almost like this miracle interrupts the worship service. And Paul is focused more on the ordinary means of grace than he is the miraculous. Same with Luke. Luke tells us it happened, but there are no bells and whistles. There are no trumpets. There is no fanfare. He just says, this is what happened. And Paul got back in uh, to doing the ministry in the ordinary means of grace. And so uh, uh, it looks to me like uh, Paul and Luke both approached this miracle as an interruption of the ordinary. And they recognize that miracles do not produce faith, do not strengthen our faith, do not sustain our faith. And miracles happened during the age of the apostles. The gift of miracles, the gift of healings was in the apostolic age, and they knew that that would cease, but the word of God would go on forever. And the most important thing is the ordinary means of grace. And so as I studied this text, I, I had two thoughts about the miraculous. You know, we must guard ourselves 
against chasing so hard after miracles that we miss the ordinary acts of God's providence. All right, so miracles are when God overrules the natural, ordinary order of things. And here, the raising of Eutychus from the dead is certainly a miracle. A guy falls out the window, falls over dead after he fell three stories. The natural, normal course of events for Eutychus would be that he stayed dead. But God, through the Apostle Paul, overruled the natural, ordinary, normal course of events, and Eutychus' life returned to him, and Paul presented to him to them alive. And so we say that's miraculous. He intervened in the normal, ordinary course of events, and, uh, and, and really that's nothing for God. A very simple thing. He is the creator, the author of life, and so it is a very simple thing for God to overrule that one thing and, and uh, breathe new life into Eutychus. For God, that was very simple. No challenge at all. Just in accordance with his omnipotence and his goodness. Uh, we think it's amazing, but for God, it's just what he does. He brings life. But when you think about providence, you think about God's providence, where God works through the ordinary, normal course of events. That should be far more amazing to us than God just working through one thing and doing one thing, but through acts of God's providence, he works through human history, he works through millions and millions and billions and zillions of, of different events to accomplish his plan and his purpose. And there's a miracle in this text, but the emphasis seems to be more on God's providence, working through the ordinary to bring about his purpose and his plan. Paul had set his face to Jerusalem, and we see through God's acts of providence, through working through the ordinary, he accomplishes that purpose. Paul's going to get to, uh, to Jerusalem right on time, and God's going to accomplish his plan and his purpose. So we should not rush so hard after miracles that we ignore God's acts of providence. And we see the emphasis in this text. We just see the normal. Uh, Paul has set his face toward Jerusalem. There's a riot in Ephesus, which might not be normal to us, but for Paul, it was pretty normal. Everywhere he would go, he would kind of start a riot. And so a riot happens in Ephesus. He leaves Ephesus. He goes to Macedonia. And uh, and again, you see Luke. Now, he's not spending a whole lot of time. He, he went to he went to Macedonia, and he encouraged them there. Then he went to Greece, and he stayed there three months. We don't know anything that happened during those three months except for the Jews plotted against him. And then he went to, uh, uh, he thought he would get on a boat and sail to Syria, but instead he decided he would go by foot to Macedonia. And the team grows. They go from Asia, and he's got this team, and these men go ahead and wait for him at Troas. Paul and Luke go to Philippi, they stay there for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then from there they go on to Troas and stayed there seven days. So just ordinary, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, God is bringing together all of these events, all of these people, all of those details to accomplish his plan and his purpose. 
And then this providence is kind of interrupted as God invades and does a miracle. But then when we get to the end of this text, what do we see? We see God's providence again. Uh, they, we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, then intending to take Paul on board, for so he'd given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So he met us at Assos. We took him on board, came to Miletine. We sailed from there. The next day came to Chios. The following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tragilium. The next day we came to Miletus. And so it sounds like to me that Paul got on a boat that was kind of like a school bus. <laughs> it drives a little bit. Stops, lets people on, lets people off, loads things up. He goes to another place and stops, lets people on, lets people off. They add some uh, some uh, supplies. He goes to another place, so it's like a like a school bus. You go a couple minutes, you stop, open the door, people get on, people get off. You, you drive a little bit more, and you can imagine Paul. Remember, Paul set his face toward Jerusalem. I can see Paul in that boat saying, "Oh man, here we are, we're stopping again." Like, you know, when you get behind a school bus and you drive and you stop and you just get frustrated. I got a place to be. I got a place that I'm going. Paul has set his face to Jerusalem. And yet we're making all these little bitty stops at all these little bitty ports. Paul is frustrated. But in God's providence, God is working out exactly in his time. And even Paul, because of this slow boat to Asia that he's gotten on, he decides he doesn't have time to go to Ephesus because he's got to be to Jerusalem. He is hurrying to Jerusalem before Pentecost. And so, so we just see God working through the ordinary things. So the ships stopping and going and people joining Paul and different people responding to him. The ordinary acts of providence. And so uh, I, I think an application for us is, you know, we, we, we long to see miracles. We would love to see God do an amazing work in our act, in our, in our, in our midst. But we should not run so hard after miracles that we miss God's providence. And God working through the ordinary, everyday events of our lives in order to bring about his plan and his purpose. And providence, providence should increase our confidence in God to see that he is working all these details, all of these things being brought together for the accomplishment of his purpose. When we study we, we look at the, the birth of Jesus, and we see for, for 4,000 years, God bringing uh, and, and God working and God doing all the things until the fullness of time. And then we see a, 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 a decree for a census for people to go to Bethlehem, to go to where the Messiah was promised to be born. And we see all of these events coming together for the accomplishment of God's plan and God's purpose. And so... God works through the ordinary, every events, everyday events of our life. His normal course of action is not to overrule the natural and the common, the normal. His normal activity is to work through the everyday, ordinary, common events in order to bring about His plan and His purpose. And that seems to be the emphasis of our text. God is working providentially. He interrupts that with a miracle, but... The important thing is God working through providence to have Paul exactly where he wants him to be, exactly when he needs him to be there, right on time. He's put it in Paul's heart. He's brought together a team, and he brings all these things together to accomplish his plan and his purpose in the life of Paul. And the same is true of us. God works through providence in order to create his purpose in us that we might be conformed 
to the image of his son, Christ Jesus. And so, lesson one, don't, don't look so hard for a miracle that you miss the beauty and the wonder of God's providential care and bringing about his plan and his purpose. And then the second lesson is, is, is similar. Don't look so hard for a miracle that you neglect the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. Now, grace is a gift of God. It's something we do not deserve, something we do not earn. He gives it to us freely. We're saved by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. But we see in the Scripture there are ways that God is ordinary, ordinarily pleased to bring about His grace, to strengthen our faith, to grow. Paul and Luke don't emphasize the miracle because they know that that miracles don't produce faith, they don't strengthen faith, they don't sustain faith. But the ordinary means of grace, they do. Paul and Luke know that miracles are rare, but the ordinary means of grace are normal. Paul knows that miracles will cease, but the ordinary means of grace, particularly the Word of God, will endure forever. And so there are ordinary means of grace, and we see... Uh, uh, several of them mentioned in this text. And we see that the ordinary is interrupted by a miracle, but the emphasis is on the ordinary. Look at verse 7, Acts 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. All right, so right there, we see some ordinary means of grace. First of all, we see the first day of the week, Sunday, also called in the New Testament, the Lord's Day. And so on the first day of the week, God's people came together. They came together in a weekly celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord was resurrected on Sunday, the first day of the week, and the church would begin to gather together on the first day of the week as a weekly, ordinary, regular celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They came together on the first day of the week to worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and to celebrate and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus one day a year. They celebrated the resurrection of Jesus every day, but particularly on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, they gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an ordinary, regular meeting time that they would come together on the Lord's Day. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, we see the other uh, they came together. They gathered together. The church assembled. On the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, they came together. They met together. They assembled together. And the assembly of God's people is an ordinary means of grace. When we're told in Hebrews chapter 10 not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we are to meet together, but he also tells us why we are to meet together. We are to meet together to stir up good works. 
to consider one another and to stir up good works in one another. And so the assembling together is a means of God's grace. We have accountability. We have people who love us, who are looking into our lives and speaking truth to us, considering how they might provoke us to good works. And so the assembling of God's people together is an ordinary means of grace. We assemble on the Lord's day to worship the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and we gather together in order to consider one another and stir up love and good works in one another. The ordinary means of grace of the church assembling, gathering together, meeting together, God nourishes our faith, He strengthens us, He increases our trust in Him through the assembly of God's people, the meeting together of one another. And so don't run so hard after a miracle, looking for miracles, that you neglect the ordinary means of, work, of, of grace. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ, assembling together with God's people. And then a third we see in this text, they came together to break bread. And I believe that when Luke uses that term here, break bread, that he is speaking of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And you know why I believe that? Look down at verse, at verse uh, uh, 11. When they came up and had broken bread and eaten. And so they, they do two things. They observe the Lord's Supper and they eat and fellowship together. Breaking bread and eating are separate. And so there's a distinction between breaking bread and eating. So I believe that Luke here is speaking of when they came together to break bread, they came together on the Lord's day, they gathered together to provoke one another to love and good works, and they observed the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper is an ordinary means of grace. It is a means of grace that God has given us to observe until he comes again, to proclaim his death, but also to nourish us, to strengthen our faith, as we commune with the Lord Jesus at his table, as we celebrate our union with Christ, and we celebrate the sacrifice that he has made for us and the, and the giving of his body, the pouring out of his blood, we celebrate the sacrifice and proclaim the sacrifice that he has made for us, that we don't deserve anything from God but his wrath, but in his grace, he became a man in Christ Jesus. And Jesus had a real body, with real blood going through his veins, and he died a real death on a real cross and poured out his blood so that we might be forgiven. We proclaim that, and he is risen, and our union with Christ, our communion with Christ, our fellowship with Christ is so profound that God considers the death of Christ the penalty for our sins and the righteousness of Christ for us. And when we come to the Lord's table, we are strengthened. Our faith is confirmed and nourished as we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace toward us. We commune with Him at His table. We have fellowship with Him through at His table. And that strengthens our faith, sustains our faith, increases our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an ordinary means of grace. He uses that to grow us, to strengthen us, to nourish us as we commune with him, but also as we commune with one another at the table. God's people in covenant relationship with one another, members of a New Testament church, come together 
and proclaim their common trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is strengthened as we commune with the Lord and as we commune with one another at the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is an ordinary means of grace. It does extraordinary things and has an extraordinary message. But it's something that God has given us to regularly observe until he comes again. And as we celebrate our covenant relationship with one another, that's why here at Community of Grace, we practice close communion. Members of our church commune together at the table and are strengthened, encouraged, nourished in our faith as we commune with the Lord Jesus Christ and as we commune with one another. Look at the ordinary means of grace. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Celebrate His resurrection. Assemble together to stir up love and good works. Observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And then the next ordinary means of grace we see is the proclamation of the Word of God. Paul and Luke don't really emphasize the miracle. The miracle seems as an interruption. Because they know that Miracles don't produce life, or, or eternal life. Eutychus has life restored to him. But it is through the preaching, the proclamation of the Word of God. It is the gospel, the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is in the gospel message that is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. The miracles don't strengthen our faith. But the Word of God is bread, the bread of life. It feeds us, it strengthens us, it, it fortifies us. Miracles don't sustain. But the Word of God, the Word of God is profitable to us, rebuking, correcting. Miracles don't train us in righteousness, but the Word of God trains us in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And even Jesus, uh, in his earthly life, he was tempted by Satan to use his power to do a miracle, to turn stones into bread in order to feed himself. But Jesus fought off that temptation with the word of God saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The preaching of the word, the teaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the truth, the word of God is an ordinary means of grace. And we should not neglect the ordinary looking for a miracle. The proclamation, the preaching, the teaching, the explanation, the exposition of the word of God brings life convicts us of our sin, converts us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and conforms us to the image of His Son. The proclamation, the preaching of the gospel is an ordinary means of grace. And there are others that here in this text, these are, are, uh, are, are explicitly mentioned, worshiping on the first day of the week, gathering together that we might provoke each other to love and good works, the observance of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and the preaching, the proclamation, the teaching of the Word of God. Biblical instruction and ordinary means of grace. And so Paul, Paul's never been to Troas. Well, he's been to Troas before, but he was not involved in the planting of the church there. You remember earlier in Acts, he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the Word in Asia. 
And he tried to go several places and kept finding closed doors. And he finally came to Troas. But it was while he was in Troas, he received the vision calling him to go to Macedonia, calling him to go to Europe. And so Paul was not involved in the planning of the church at Troas. He had never preached there before. Most likely, this church was established by someone who had been under his ministry in Ephesus, been been, uh, converted under the ministry of Paul, discipled by Paul, and sent out from Ephesus to plant this church in Troas. And so now here's Paul in Troas, but his face is set to Jerusalem. He's not going to be there very long. He's only there for seven days, and on the first day of the week, he meets, and he has a lot to say to them. He's never preached there before. And so Paul has a lot to say, a lot of teaching, a lot of proclamation, the Word of God. And so he continues his message till midnight. He's preaching, and uh, uh, it's kind of dark, but there are lamps in there. Lamps are generating heat, and poor old Eutychus, uh, poor old Eutychus, trying to stay awake. His eyes get heavy, and he falls sound asleep. He falls out the window, falls three stories, and he's dead. And Paul's like, okay, don't worry about it. Um, He goes down. He lays on him, following the example of Elijah and Elisha. He lays on him, embraces him, presents him to him alive. And what does Paul do? Uh, He comes back up. He breaks bread, and he eats. He fellowships with him, and he talked a long while. And so you see why the title is, This Ordinary Worship Service Was Interrupted by a Miracle. (laughs) A brief interruption. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is the ordinary means of grace that God has given to nourish our faith, to strengthen our souls, and to give us uh, what we need to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen a miracle. I, I may have, but I, I don't think I've ever seen a miracle where God would just overrule the normal and natural order of things and bring about an amazing event. I know I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. I have seen people fall asleep during a sermon. In fact, I've done that. But I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a miracle. But I have seen God's providence. And God working through ordinary, everyday events to bring about His plan, to bring about His purpose. And I think so many people today are just so distracted looking for a miracle that they miss the ordinary acts of providence. God bringing millions and millions and millions of things together to accomplish His plan, His purpose for His people for his church and the individual lives of his children believers and I'm sure like me you've gotten to a place and you've seen acts of providence and you see something happen and you look back and you say well there is no doubt that God did that but it wasn't through a miracle it was through the ordinary providence and so don't be so distracted by Searching for a miracle, running after a miracle, longing for a miracle. But you miss God's works of providence through the everyday, ordinary events as he is bringing together and working together all things.
for the good of his people and for his own glory to display of his power. And ultimately, the ultimate good is that we be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And then the second application, don't be so distracted looking for a miracle that you neglect the ordinary means of grace. The way that God has shown that he is pleased to give us faith, to strengthen our faith, to sustain our faith, those ordinary means of grace, worship, the assembly of God's people, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, and we could add the ordinance of baptism, the proclamation of the Word of God, we could add prayer. Ordinary means of grace, ways that God has told us and demonstrated to us that He is pleased to pour out His grace through those means. And so often we want the extraordinary and we neglect the ordinary. And as we have gathered together today, we are going to participate. We've already participated in, in some ordinary means of grace. Hopefully we have worshipped the risen Lord by uh, affirming His worth, His value as we study His word, as we contemplate his resurrection and his presence with us. Maybe the Spirit has helped us to worship in spirit and truth. We have assembled together, and as we fellowship together, and as we share life together, considering each other, how we might stir up love and good works in one another. We participated in the ordinary means of grace of prayer. We prayed for our missionaries. We prayed for one another. We prayed for God's providence to sustain, to strengthen us, to find us faithful and help us be fruitful. And now we come to the time of this service where we will participate in the ordinary means of grace that he has given us as we come together to his table. As we celebrate the fact that God became a man. God, the Son, the Son of God, left the glory of heaven and became flesh, a real body with real blood, sharing in our weakness, sharing in our frailty. You know, there's a song that we sometimes sing at Christmas, the, the way in the manger. It has a line, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Don't believe that for a minute. <laughs> Jesus was fully human. Jesus was an ordinary baby. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, shared in our weakness so that he was totally dependent upon his mother and his earthly daddy for provision of his needs. And he was a, a, a human baby that had no way of communicating, even though he was the Word of God incarnate. He had no way of communicating his needs other than doing it like every other human baby does. By crying. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He could not communicate his needs other than by crying and telling Mary, I'm hungry. He became fully human. A real With real blood. Pumped by a real heart through real veins. And then he grew to be a man. 
He's tempted in every way that we are. And even ways that we cannot be. I've never been tempted to turn rocks into bread because I don't have that capability. I don't have that capacity. Never been tempted to do a miracle because I can't. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, and even ways that we can't imagine, and yet he was without sin, and then he died on the cross to take the wrath that we deserve. And on the night before he did, he took bread. He shared it with his disciples. He said, this is my And he took a cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he gives us this ordinary means of grace. This do, as often as you hear it, in a regular, ordinary, Lord's Day manner. Do this in remembrance of me. Faith will be strengthened, you will be nourished, you will be sustained as you commune with me at my table and as you commune with others. Covenant together in the local church to be my people in this place at this time. Ordinary means of grace as we prepare to break bread. Lord God, we thank you for the ordinary. And we confess, Lord, we long for the extraordinary. We want to see amazing, miraculous displays of your power. You overruling the normal and the order and invading and doing something that only you can do that we could see. Lord, we confess that so often it's just because we are discontent. We are dissatisfied. But Lord, we thank you for your acts of providence. And how that focusing on your providence and you working according to your will and your plan through all of the ordinary events of our life. Lord, strengthens us, guards us from anxiety as we know that you're in control and that you're working. Guards us from fear because we... We know that you're working for your glory and for our good. Guards us from worry because we trust your providence. And as we see you working through the ordinary, our faith is strengthened and increased. So Lord, help us not to run so hard after miracles that we miss seeing your providence. miss and neglect the ordinary means of grace that you give us. Lord, we thank you for your table. We thank you for these elements. And we thank you that as we commune with you and we commune with one another to celebrate our unity with you and our unity with each other that you nourish, you strengthen, you confirm our faith and grant us sustenance Lord, help us as we examine ourselves and come celebrating our unity and communion with you.
as a gift of your grace that we have received through faith in Christ our Lord. For it is in his name we pray.